Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Today's episode of Full Spectrum, Hank Kelly will be discussing the FCC's adopted order to block spam texts and other order intended to improve caller ID authentication. Second, Special Counsel Mike Dover will cover the FCC's issuance of a further notice of proposed rulemaking, which proposes to expand audio description requirements. Thank you very much. Uh, This is Hank Kelly, and I am going to try to hit the highlights of uh, two orders that were adopted today by the commission. Uh, I'll note first that at the time of this recording, only draft orders have been released. Uh, We don't expect material changes from these drafts, but do want to caution our listeners to verify this information from the final versions of the rules and the orders that the commission ultimately releases. The first order that I want to discuss is the Commission's report in order adopting rules that require wireless providers to block text messages from numbers that are on a do not originate list, which includes numbers that are known to be invalid, unallocated, unused, and for which the subscriber of the wireless phone number has requested to be blocked. This is similar to the existing rules currently requiring the blocking of voice calls by gateway providers having those same characteristics, uh, known to be invalid, unallocated numbers, and then also certainly on a, on a do, not, do not originate list that the subscriber of the landline, uh, I'm sorry, the voice calls uh, uh, maintains. The second order that I'm going to talk about um, is, is further efforts by the commission to uh, require carriers to authenticate caller ID on, on telephone calls, and again, to prohibit uh, and, and put, a, put a stamp down on, on additional robocall uh, telephone calls. So let me talk first about the, the, the robotext order. Um, the FCC has adopted the robotext blocking rules on the premise that unwanted text messages have increased significantly over the past several years resulting in over 200 million lost dollars from unlawful scammed text messages. Those $200 million uh, was in 2022 in in comparison to both 2020 and 2021 combined. So the commission uh, has, has, what the commission has done is to require communication companies to block certain robocalls And now the commission requires wireless providers to also block certain types of robotext messages. The rules specifically require wireless providers to each maintain a reasonable do not originate database that is used to block at the network level text messages. And included among those types of calls that must be blocked are the following. First, numbers for which the subscriber to which the numbers assigned has requested that calls purporting to originate from that number be blocked because the number is used for inbound calls only. Secondly, 
North American numbering plan numbers that are not valid. For example, the call the, the originating number has to have a valid area code and a valid actual telephone number. Um, in addition, uh, calls that can be blocked are valid North American numbering plan numbers that are allocated to a provider but are unused. Carriers are required to maintain a database with those series of numbers and block text messages that, are, that appear to originate from those telephone numbers. The theory behind that, um, and this is what the commission's done with respect to, to telephone calls as well, is that if, it, if a call originates or a text message originates from a telephone number that's not in use, there's no valid purpose for that phone call. And so the commission's determined both for telephone calls and now for text messaging, that calls that originate from those types of numbers should be just generally blocked because they're not gonna have any, any valid purpose in the first place. So wireless call providers must also make uh, public a single point of contact for the text senders and must publish the, 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 that single point of contact on a public facing website. The theory behind this is that if a, if a, a wireless provider is gonna send a text message, um, the sender of those text messages, these are typically marketing messages or, or other types of uh, business messages, there's gotta be a single point of contact for who those senders are so that any subscriber or consumer that receives a text message uh, from that originating provider can go to the public facing website uh, that's maintained by the, the wireless provider and, and, and contact the sender of the text message to try to resolve any complaints or even to be added to that subscribe that senders uh, do not originate, uh, do not text message uh, uh, list. Um, now, these rules require that these numbers that we've talked about uh, be blocked without requiring the subscriber to either opt in or opt out of, of the service. Uh, further, these rules only apply to SMS and S text messages that originate with mobile wireless providers. These rules do not apply to text messages over an IP-enabled messaging service uh, that are, are on the same platform or within the same messaging service. So for example, this would not, these rules do not apply to sort of WhatsApp type text messages where the text messages originate and terminate uh, not using a telephone number, but really within the text messaging application. Also, uh, the, FC, the FCC has not adopted, at least not yet, a caller ID authentication for, it, for originating SMS and MMS messages. Uh, the record, the commission concluded that the record showed, at least at this time, that text messages rarely originated with a spoofed originating phone number. So the stir-staking requirements on, for, for caller ID authentication, um, they apply to telephone calls, but not for text messages. Now, the FCC has also, in this order that was adopted, uh, um, also uh, initiated a further notice of proposed rulemaking to actually investigate whether the commission uh, should use caller ID authentication uh, like stir shaken in text messages. And so it is seeking comment on whether they should roll out caller ID authentication for those services. Um, secondly, the as far as the uh, 
further notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, the commission seeking comment on whether ex to extend the national do not call registry protections to text messages. Currently, the national do not call registry uh, only applies to telephone calls, but the commission's asking whether they can and should and have the legal authority to, uh, to, to apply the do not call registry uh, also to, to text messages. In that situation, a consumer can put their telephone number in the do not call registry and not only not receive uh, telephone calls from certain marketing com companies, but also uh, not receive text messages. Um, and then with respect to the further notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, the commission's additionally seeking comment on whether the consents that consumers receive from a lead generator, how those consents can be uh, modified uh, or require consents, not just from the lead to the, to the, to receive text messages from the lead generator, but also from each marketer that may use that lead generator uh, to issue text messages. So there's a lot to unpack in this order and it promises certainly to be a significant order, uh, uh, have a big impact on, on text messages um, used for marketing purposes. And uh, certainly the, I think the commission is gonna take, take a lot of steps over the next couple of years to limit and further reduce the the volume of sort of what I would call robo-text uh, messages. The second order that the commission adopted uh, today that I wanna discuss in the, is the sixth report in order and sixth further notice of proposed rulemaking related to caller ID authentication uh, for telephone calls. This too is a pretty significant order, it's pretty comprehensive, and it's really gonna be fully, uh, it's gonna be tough to fully summarize in the limited time that we have. So first, uh, what the order does mainly is require uh, that all intermediate providers, telecommunication carriers that are or communication service providers um, that receive unauthenticated SIP calls directly from an originating provider, though that are not authenticated, that the caller ID is not authenticated using stir shaken, all the first intermediate provider that receives that, that call has an obligation to use stir shaken to authenticate the call. Now, up to now, the commissions uh, has required all providers in the call path, including gateway the providers, to respond uh, to, to a traceback request. And intermediate providers could decline to actually authenticate uh, the caller ID on an inbound call to them by simply responding to the traceback request in lieu of authentic authenticating the caller ID. This option's no longer available for intermediate providers, at least for the first inter intermediate provider in a call path. The first intermediate provider in a call path is now required, uh, mandatorily required to authenticate the caller ID using stir shaken on those types of calls. Now the commission uh, did reject uh, an approach to require all intermediate providers to authenticate the call. And again, requires only the first intermediate provider in the call path. Um, it's likely sometime down in the future that the commission is gonna take a look at whether to require all providers, all inter intermediate providers to authenticate the, the caller ID using stir shaken, but they haven't done it yes, yet. Uh, the deadline for the first intermediate provider to do the caller ID, caller ID authentication is December 31st, 2003. 
Second, another major point of the second order that we're talking about today is up till now, the FCC has adopted rules requiring voice service providers to, to submit uh, to the robocall mitigation database statements on whether they have implemented stir shaken on all or part of the network part of their networks or not at all and if they've not implemented stir shaken they have an obligation they've had an obligation to describe in their robocall mitigation program the specific reasonable steps uh, that the voice service provider has taken to avoid uh, uh, originating illegal call illegal robocall traffic now, the commission did not specifically require voice service providers without, this is currently, without facilities necessary to implement Sturgeon to actually file certifications in the database. That has changed under this order. Um, this order now requires all providers, regardless of their Sturgeon implementation status or capability, or regardless of whether they have an actual physical network that could do Sturgeon or authentication, that all providers now have an obligation to register and file robocall mitigation plans in the robocall mitigation database. Um, uh, in it, these carriers, even all providers, whether they have uh, with or without facilities necessary to implement Sturgeon, have an obligation to describe the reasonable steps that they're taking to mitigate illegal robocall traffic. They also have an obligation to submit a certification to the robocall mitigation database on their stir shaken implementation status, as well as identifying where in the call path their network typically would transmit phone calls. Um, and and this, this, this is important because uh, carriers are now obligated to not transmit a phone call with another carrier that is not listed in the robocall mitigation database. So essentially what the commission is now doing is requiring all service providers to register um, and provide certifications in the robocall mitigation database, regardless of their network facilities and the, the types of facilities that they use. And, and any carrier that is gonna act as an intermediate provider and now has an obligation to validate and verify that the carriers with, 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 who, with whom or with which it is transmitting phone calls um, are registered in the, the robocall mitigation database. There's a, again, with this order, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of requirements. Um, there's uh, enforcement. The FCC has also adopted some enforcement rules. So for example, they concluded that the minimum base forfeiture for a robo illegal robocalls would be $2,500 per call. But they also have adopted a, a maximum of $23,727 per call, um, including violations for failure to block traffic, including the uh, in, in accordance with the rules that the commission's adopted. So the commission in this order took some pretty significant steps to, to curb illegal robocalling, uh, pretty significant steps to um, specify and identify what the enforcement mechanisms are and the penalties that, that providers are going to pay uh, for illegal robocalls. And it's a pretty significant order. They're also taking, uh, they've also issued in this order uh, a sixth further notice of proposed rulemaking um, 
to uh, take other steps um, that that might uh, to, for for caller identification. And uh, again, it's I think it's a pretty significant order that we really can't do do full justice just in the in the limited time that we have with these with these podcasts. Uh, but more to come should be interesting in the next couple of years as the SEC continues to do this. Um, and right now, I'm going to turn it over to Mike Dover, who's going to talk about the FCC's further notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, which proposes to expand audio description requirements. Thank you. Thanks, Hank. Uh, yes, on Thursday, the commission adopted a further notice of proposed rulemaking seeking comments and proposals to expand the audio description requirements to add additional designated market areas or DMAs. Audio descriptions make video programming more accessible to individuals who are blind or visually impaired by inserting narrated descriptions of a television program's key visual elements during natural pauses in the program's dialogue, typically using a secondary audio stream. Audio descriptions are currently required in DMAs 1 through 60 pursuant to a 2011 commission order. In this FNPRM, the Commission proposes to expand audio descriptions to all remaining market areas based on a phased approach requiring audio descriptions for 10 additional DMA, DMAs each year until all DMAs are covered, and also proposes to implement this phased approach uh, with the first 10 additional DMA and also proposes to implement this phased approach with the first 10 additional DMAs required by January 1, 2025. That means that audio descriptions would be required for DMAs 101 through 110 on January 1, 2025, and audio descriptions would be required in the last DMAs 201 through 210 on January 1, 2035. Uh, in addition, the FNPRM proposes petitions for exemption and exceptions based on economic burden to be governed by Section 79.3D of the Commission's rules and waivers to be governed by Section 1.3. As background, generally, the Commission's audio description rules currently require television broadcast stations affiliated with the top four television broadcasters ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, as well as multi-channel video programming distributors or MVPDs that serve 50,000 or more subscribers to provide audio descriptions in DMAs 1 through 100 as of January 1, 2024. Specifically, those television broadcast stations and MVPDs must provide 50 hours of audio described programming per calendar quarter during prime time or on children's programming, as well as 37 and a half hours of audio described programming per calendar quarter between 6 a.m. and midnight. With respect to the remaining DMAs, the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act requires the commission to assess the need and costs to expand audio descriptions beyond those top DMAs. The Commission exercised its authority to expand audio description requirements to include DMAs 60 through 100 using a 10 per year approach in 2020 
And at that time, the commission said it would consider expanding the requirement to additional DMAs after assessing the reasonableness of the associated costs for doing so. The proposals in this FNPRM um, seek to continue the phased approach to implementing audio description requirements and seeks comments about the costs for doing so. Generally, with respect to the proposed expansion of the audio description requirements, the Commission seeks comments that include comments on the benefits of expanding the current requirement to DMAs 101 through 210. The Commission states that even in the smallest DMAs, audio descriptions enhance video programming accessibility for consumers who are blind or visually impaired. The commission also states that it has found benefits to other groups based on the prior expansion, including increased accessibility for consumers with other sensory or cognitive impairments, consumers learning the language, and consumers who listen to the video programming while performing other tasks. In this request, the commission seeks comments specifically related to the data on the current amount of audio described programming that's available now in DMAs 101 through 210 as compared to the current commission requirements. In addition, the commission seeks comments on costs related to expanding the current requirements to these additional DMAs. The commission previously found that the costs of expanding the audio description requirements to DMA 60 through 100 were reasonable, but the commission is now seeking comments on whether to employ the same cost analysis and whether or not the, that analysis is applicable to DMAs 101 through 210. The commission notes that it expects the costs of an expansion of the audio description requirement to be minimized because covered broadcasters already are required to be ready for secondary audio streams for emergency information requirements. And that secondary audio for emergency information requirements applies to all markets, regardless of size. In addition, the commission seeks comments on alternatives, such as whether a smaller subset of DMAs 101 through 210 should be used, whether a slower phased in approach, such as five DMAs per year should be used, or whether an, any expansion should be based on updated Nielsen determinations or other metrics. Lastly, the Commission seeks information on differing costs faced by network affiliates, such as affiliates that receive programming via a network feed, or whether there are differing costs faced by large station group owners as compared to smaller group owners or single station owners. With respect to exemptions and waivers, the Commission also proposes that exemptions and extensions for economic burden be assessed under the current Section 79.3 approach, but not as to non-economic burdens. There, the Commission would assess those requests under the waiver standard of Section 1.3 of the Commission rules. The Commission seeks comments on that approach in this context. The FNPRM was unanimously adopted Thursday, and comments will be due 30 days after it's published in the Federal Register, with reply comments due 45 days after publication.
And that's our uh, roundup of the commission uh, meeting uh, from March 16th, 2023. However, stay tuned for part two of our coverage of the open meeting in our next episode. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.